Well, we uh, continue our study of Romans 9, and again, I, I want to say thank you to Katie Finkley and for organizing last Sunday. That was a blessing, and I uh, appreciate everybody sharing and being vulnerable and allowing themselves to be vulnerable and just very appreciative of the, the humility and the, the openness to God working in and through us in the foster adoption ministry and the, the blessing there. And, and, and that ties in even with Romans 9 and what we, we go back. We started Romans 9 a couple of weeks ago and Romans 9 really, it, it, it really attacks. If you were to come to Romans 9 and simply read Romans 9, uh, even if you just brought somebody in off the streets and just said, hey, read this chapter and tell me what you think it says, it's not difficult to understand. It's not like there's some words here that are difficult to understand. The challenge with Romans 9 is that it's difficult to accept. And there's a difference. What Paul says here, if we're honest, is it's, it's very clear. It's not, it's not, we're not talking about end times and whether you're all-mill, pre-mill, no-mill, whatever. We're not talking about, we're talking about, just if you come to, if you're honest, and, I, and, I, and in the devotion that I send out each week, I've, I've tried to help you see that if, you, if we'll just come to the Word, with, with openness, ready to submit to whatever it says. What Paul says here is not, it's not hard to understand, it's hard to accept. And here's why. Because every single ounce of you and me want ourselves to be central. We want to be what it's all about. We want it to be about us. And, and we want to dictate the terms. Even to the point where here in Romans 9, Israel has, much of Israel, Paul's kinsmen, have not believed. And you know, you know, you know how strongly their self-defense is? They're so arrogant, they're going to blame God. Can't be my fault. It's God's fault. Oh, God must not have kept his promises. God must not have fulfilled his... You, you, you know, that's, that's really, if, you're, if we're honest, guys, that's the height of arrogancy. To, to question God. To think that we know better than God. And listen to me, every, in the, inside of my heart and inside of your heart, there is a desire to want to be Lord of our own lives. I want it all to be about me. And it's been tempting not to rush there, but, but we'll get there. But 14 through 19, Paul deals in 14 through 19, really 19 and 14 and following, with the thing that, it, like, I want to deal with that first. But Paul says, no, no, I'm going to explain something about God first, and then 14 through 19 is going to make total sense when you put God in his right place. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to accept. And what Paul does here is he's proving that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and the gospel of the Old Testament is the gospel of the New Testament. That he doesn't preach some different gospel. And the, the, again, the, the issue of chapter 9, 
really the issue Paul deals with here. This is one of the greatest, as we said, one of the greatest chapters on the sovereignty of God. But I don't believe the sovereignty of God is the main issue of Romans 9. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. And, 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 you know, I've already started working on this sermon for the 22nd for next Sunday. And I, I'm, I'm excited to get there. I'm not sure I'm excited about the emails that, may, that it may generate. But I'm excited. Because I want us to see God rightly. And listen, there's a lot of us in Christendom, in Christianity, that do not see God rightly. All of us, listen... Every single one of us in here have holes in our theology. Here's the problem. We don't know where they are. Right? We, we want to make God like us. We, namely, we want to be God. Even to the point where, we're, and again, it's so tempting to not go there. We want to tell God how he, does, how he doles out his mercy. We want to tell God how he gives out his mercy. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. And so Paul is... Paul is explaining, again, he is, his, look at verse 6. It's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Go over to 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is they may it never be. Here's Paul's point. God is faithful. The issue is never going to be with God's faithfulness. What Paul writes here, he's defending the faithfulness of God. Can God be trusted? And, and here's what we said. Here's why this matters. Because Paul just finished chapter 8 and gave great assurance, great promises. 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 8.18, for the present sufferings do not compare to the, to the glory that is to be revealed in us. 8.37, we are overwhelmingly, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 38, that there's nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor any other create. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Oh, really, Paul? What about Israel? What about all those promises? Your salvation and my salvation is at stake here if God can't be trusted. If he broke his promises to them, will he break his promises to you? This is huge. Listen, as much as, as much as we don't want to admit it, listen, deep down, listen, you don't want a salvation that depends entirely on you. You think you do, but you don't. And, and listen, all of our relations in this room today show and all of our lives bear the marks of the frailty and the lack of stability that you and I bring to any and every relationship. We need, we need something more sure than just my word. Because listen, our lives, we don't want to hear this. Nobody woke up this morning wanting to hear this, but it's true. You and I aren't faithful. You and I aren't dependable. You and I are sinners. We're wretched. Jeremiah 17, 9, we have hearts that are desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can understand them? You don't even, I don't even know my own heart. You don't know your own heart. I need a God who will give me a new heart and do it through me. I need a God who will assure me of his love for me, even when my love for him wanes. 
You don't want this thing to be based on your faithfulness. And that's what Paul is getting at. God is the ultimate promise keeper. And and so what he does is he begins, again, addressing this, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, the main point, and Melissa filled those in for us. You know, we need a burden. It starts with burden, and Sam Marcinick was here that Sunday, and he, he spoke, and he, you know, I, again, he's not, per, he's not perfect, and I'm not trying to say that, but that, that guy has a burden for the people that God has put in front of him. He left everything. A great automotive business, his wife left a, a doctor practice to serve in one of the poorest counties in America bankrupted himself to buy the ministry so he could stay there. Just trusted God. And so you see those, again, you saw in point one, we saw in verse one, look, at, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. My conscience testifies about, in, in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Paul, their, their unbelief anguished Paul. Their lostness anguished Paul. And, and we said that, that it was a love for God and a love for his, his, his people that drove him. And, and we, we asked this question of ourselves a couple weeks ago. Can we say that we're sincerely concerned for the lostness of those around us? Can you say you're sincerely concerned for the salvation of those around you? Fair question. Are you sincerely concerned about it? And that's where it starts. Because listen, if you don't care, you ain't going to care. If it doesn't matter, it's not going to be a priority. And if we don't care, then listen, we can go on living our self-centered, privatized, individualized lives, and the people next to us can die and go to hell, and it won't bother us at all. We We won't think a thing about it. And that's too bad because that's the very reason God has saved us and left us here. We saw that in 2 Corinthians, to be ambassadors. That he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see in 2 Corinthians 5 that Paul literally is begging people. And we need a burden. And that might be for some of us where where it starts. A burden for the lost. I'm appreciative of the, of the Milfords. They're starting a Bible study with another family in their, in their neighborhood. And, and we're going to go over there tomorrow and help them get started. They're, they're burdened for the lost. And, and many of you are doing the same, but it starts with a burden. And Paul speaks to that. But, but, but it goes beyond that. And, and Paul, what Paul is doing here, he's, he's setting the stage for what he's about to say. And So not only do we need a, a burden for the lost, if, if, if we're going to be effective... But, but also, you see point two, what Paul deals with here. He says, in our burden and zeal for the lost around us, we must resist the temptation. That's the fill-in. Resist the temptation to alter the gospel or even our gatherings in order to make them more palatable for those outside of Christ. There, there's a temptation. There's a pattern in churches today. Listen, all over America, churches are getting rid of anything that could possibly be offensive. Even that cross. 
because it might offend somebody. Listen, the gospel's offensive. You and I shouldn't be offensive. But to stand in front of somebody and say, listen, you're a sinner, and, and, and if you die in your sin, you're going to be separated eternally from God, that's, that's hard, that's offensive. To call sin, sin, that's offensive. Listen, it's more offensive to think you know better than God. See, the world, the world will call you and I arrogant. I'll tell you the most arrogant thing in the world is to think that you know better than God. And all throughout America. There's a, there's a temptation to, to, to water it down. And, and Paul, again, Paul says, For I wish, verse 3, that I could be accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren and my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of his sons and the glory of the covenants. And he gets in all these blessings. And we'll see them in a minute. But, but you see in Paul's life, Paul resisted the temptation to water down the gospel. And sometimes it flows from a right burden. You desperately want people to be saved. You desperately want it. But again, you can't leave out the hard truths. Yeah, I think about it like a pill. Sometimes medicine doesn't taste good. But listen, if you try to make it taste good, you, change, you might change the formula and it won't do what it was meant to do. And there are a lot of things, hear me, there are a lot of things that we can adjust there are a lot of things that we, can, that we have freedom over in an effort to reach people. I, I've heard people say, the medium can change, but the message cannot change. Right? Culture changes, opinions change, what cool and, what's cool and popular changes. Listen, but the Word of God endures forever. And we've seen this throughout Romans. Paul never, ever, ever altered the gospel in order to gain man's approval. That's what he says here. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. He never watered sin down. He never balked at any theology. He never balked at the wrath of God. He never balked at the jealousy of God. He never, again, and he's going to later on say, Behold, in chapter 11, the kindness and severity of of God. They're both there. He didn't balk at the role of the law in order for his fellow countrymen to love him more. Hey, Paul, just tone it down a little bit, Paul, and, and you won't be shipwrecked and beaten and all that. Paul said, I ain't watering it down. Look, look back at Romans 2, 24. Flip back. These are the, listen, to, these are the statements that Paul made to his fellow countrymen. Okay, not watering it down. Listen to what he says. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. He didn't, he didn't hide that scripture. He didn't withhold that one. I'm sure that didn't make him popular. Go to verse 9 of chapter 3. Again, what then? Are we better than they? Jews and Gentiles, not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. And he goes on to say that there is none righteous, none who do good. That, I bet that didn't make him popular. Even here in 9.3, again, he's, he's been separated from his countrymen. He's been alienated them because of the gospel. 
But Paul still preached the truth that their sin had alienated them from Christ. He never sidestepped that issue. He hated it. He wished it weren't true necessarily, but he didn't change it and he didn't water it down. He didn't shy away from it. It made him very unpopular. He didn't care because his loyalty was to Christ. It was not to man. And, but, but listen, here's the challenge. I can be loyal to man and not be loyal to God. But if I'm loyal to God, ultimately, guess what? I'll be loyal to man. Because I'll tell them what they really need to hear more than anything, even if they don't want to hear it. Paul knew he couldn't fall into the trap of watering down the gospel. Again, go over a couple of, or Daniel can put up on the screens but for the sake of time, but look at Galatians 1.10. Look at what Paul says. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. You can't have it both ways. Guys, you're going to have to pick, you're going to have to choose whose glory you want. You want man's or you want God's? Because you can't, you, can't, you can't ride both horses. And, and again, that was right after. Look what Paul says in verses 6 through 9. I'm amazed. This, he's speaking to other Christians. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is not really another gospel, for there is only one, and some are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel to what you, contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Listen, say it out loud. What was at stake for Paul? What, what did Paul exist for? The gospel. What was at stake in Paul's preaching? The gospel. There's only one. Listen, if Paul couldn't alter the gospel, what does that say for you and me? Because I ain't Paul. Don't mess with it. You go over in Galatians 3.1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? You, you can't alter the message, guys, in order to get results or to be received better. It, it doesn't matter in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods. We've got to trust the word of God. We've got to trust the gospel to do its work. As it was intended to do through the hearing. Again, we'll get there eventually in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. Not faith comes by hearing and hearing by your slick presentation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by you being cute. Faith comes by hearing only if you're clever enough. Only if you're cool enough. If your clothes look the right way. Or your hair looks the right way. Or the lights in the sanctuary are right at the right dimness. If they're just the right, if it's dark enough, they'll respond. Hey, if the, if the worship is emotional enough, They'll respond, no, 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 it doesn't say that. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's why, because God is not going to share his glory with you and I. He's not going to compete with you. 
Either he's going to do it or you're going to do it. And in the gospel's sake, he's already said, I'll do it. Our job is to be faithful and to trust God to do his work. Trust the word. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Here's why. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Paul didn't say, if I was only clever enough, if I'm cute enough, if I'm slick enough. Paul says, my job is to present the word. My job is to stand in the, in, in the face of those who are opposing the truth, give a defense, give a witness, give a testimony for the truth, and then I'm going to let the word do its work. And you see it on your handout, only the truth here, the truth of the gospel can bring about salvation. It's not about opinions. The gospel is not about opinions. It's not a popularity contest. It's about truth. And just because somebody doesn't believe it, just because your classmate students or your co-worker parents, your neighbor, just because they don't believe it, doesn't make it not true. It's Christ they're rejecting, not you. And their rejection doesn't make God less faithful. Again, Romans 3.3, 3, this is huge. Paul is really going back here in Romans 9 to something he began earlier in some sense. But look at what he says in Romans 3.3. 3. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? And Paul says in verse 4, and may it never be, let God be found true, even though every man be found a liar. Don't, listen, stop letting culture convince you that the gospel is not true. Just stop it. Just stop it. Culture doesn't want the gospel to be true, because here's why. If the gospel is true, I'm not Lord of my life. If the gospel is true, I am accountable to God. And listen, my flesh hates that. I want to lead my own life. I, and that's the essence of sin. I want to determine for myself what is sin and what is not sin. Doesn't matter what God's word says, I want to determine it. And the gospel is about truth. The truth is at stake here. And we've got to resist the temptation, even in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have this ministry, this is our reason for... You want the greatest purpose in all the world to live for? Embrace the gospel and your role in sharing the gospel. You are an ambassador on behalf of the King of kings and Lord of lords. What greater privilege could there be in this earth? Whom greater could you possibly, you know, I hear all these people I encounter on the, I go to FCAs and speak and this and that, and kids are like, oh, I want to live for something. I'm offering you the greatest thing in all the world to live for. But here's the problem. You're deceiving yourself. You don't want something to live for. You want to live for yourself. Let's be honest. And that's why you won't embrace the gospel. You want something to live for as long as it makes much of you. And Paul says, we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we don't lose heart. Listen, here's, the, here's what I hear. Listen, but we have renounced 
the things hidden because of shame. Listen, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He goes on, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds and the hearts of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light, light, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's interesting there. One translation of this says, Paul says this, I did not tamper with the truth. You know what Paul didn't try to be is slick. You know what Paul didn't want man, and this is where even in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this, I did not come with superiority to speech. Why? So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man. I came and I preached Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. Paul didn't hide certain truths about God. He didn't feel the need to protect God. He never lowered the bar. Jesus didn't do that. You know what Jesus said to people? Unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily and die, you're not worthy to be my disciple. You know what Jesus didn't say? Hey, pray this prayer Give me, take this card. Hey, go live how you were living. You, you, you look at half the time Jesus was talking people out of following him, right? He was literally saying, do not follow me unless you're ready to count the cost. Do not think for one second that this road is going to be easy. It's going to cost you your life. If you want to give up your life, Mark 8.35, whoever gains this whole world and yet forfeit, you know, will forfeit his soul, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll gain an eternity. That's what Jesus said. Hey, live for this world, gain your soul, and die. Or lose your life for my sake and live eternally. That's the option. You go to Acts. You know what the, God, you know what the, the early apostles preached? It is through much tribulation that you will enter eternity. Paul said it himself in 2 Timothy 3.12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Here's what you get. Persecution. But the present sufferings, Romans 8.18, do not compare to the glory that God's going to give you. That's the promise. Paul didn't rely on slick speech. Listen, I'm not, you and I, it's not my job. In, in the morning, tomorrow afternoon, rather, 2 o'clock, I'm going to go to a local middle school to their FCA meeting, and I'm going to preach the gospel. Listen, I ain't going in there to try to talk them into anything. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to tell them what the Word of God says. And I'm going to try to do it in an intelligent way, in a timely way, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to be impactful. Just like now, I, I mean, my, I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm eager that you get these truths. Like, I want desperately that we would be a body that would grasp this. But it's not my job to convince you. It's my job to offer truth and allow the, allow the Lord to tell, do this work. Again, because again, this is a spiritual battle. 
And I, and I would tell you, Corey and I have talked about this. I think that's why a lot of the stuff that's going on in this body right now that some of you may not know about, some of you do, we're in a spiritual battle. Why? Because ever since we, ever since we started preaching Romans, it's been trouble. And you know why? Because I don't think for one second Satan wants us to preach through Romans. I think he wants to tempt me, anyway, as a people pleaser, to just offer you some flowery little trinkets and nuggets every Sunday so that you'll go home feeling good about yourself and, quite frankly, you'll leave me alone. We won't deal with sin. We won't do life together. And when you do life together, you know what? You bump into each other. And you offend each other. And you know what? That ends up on my desk. Good, because let's work it out. All right? Let's work it out. But if we just come in here and tickle our ears and want to just offer some trinkets, six ways to this and five ways to this and four ways to this and your best life now nonsense, listen, who cares? I'm just telling ever. Karen will tell you, ever since, you know, and, and, and some people will say, because that's you're an idiot for going through Romans for a year, maybe. But ever since the beginning of January, awful, junk. You know why? Because I think we're dealing with truth. And I think God's rounding off some edges. And I think God's refining people. And I think God's using the word to, to rub some stuff off. And, and a lot of the things that's trouble, we're doing good things. It's not bad things, but we're bumping into each other. And marriages, kids, Listen, tr and, and the, the Satan, here's what Satan wants to do in that. Here's why he does that. He wants us to back down. He wants us to stop. That's why Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Don't stop. It's a spiritual battle, guys. And the question is this, if we preach the word, some will accept, some will reject. Don't back down. Some will love you, and some are going to hate your guts. Don't back down. Do not, just, do not give in. Resist the temptation to alter the gospel so that you'll be popular. So you can just get somebody to accept you and receive you. And the question you see on your handout is this, in what ways, I want you to think about that in your, in your grow groups. If you're not going to a grow group, go to a grow group. In what ways are we tempted to water down the gospel in order to make it more appealing and more easily acceptable to us? And those around us. Do you soften the words of scripture? I, I listen. I, I go to a lot of things where the gospel is, is supposedly shared. I'm amazed at how many people can share the gospel and never quote scripture one time. I'm amazed. I'm blown away. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Not your cute illustrations. Not your cute presentations. I'm amazed. Now, they'll beat around the bush, and, you know, I'm like, okay, I think I recognize that passage somewhere in Romans. It's something, something. 
Quote the word. Do we dance around hard truths? Do we, are we afraid to use the word sin? Do we instead use the word mistake? Do we only emphasize the love of God and not the wrath of God? There are certain characteristics of God that you're really, if you were honest, you're maybe ashamed of. You feel like you need to hide from the world. Like, man, I, it's like, I don't want you to know about this, about my God, because you, you might not like it. Or, or maybe this, do you simply stay quiet? Maybe you just stay quiet. Maybe that's your way of pursuing man's approval. Just stay quiet. Don't get in the trenches. Maybe your way of, of, of hiding the gospel is you're not willing to get dirty with people. You're not willing to do the hard thing. Because again, a lot of the times in here where we bump into each other, we're willing to get in the trenches with one another and get dirty, and we end up, hey, you're fighting, in a, we're in a battle. You know, I was, remind, I was reminded as I thought about this, it's like, a, it's like a nerf war. You know, we have these nerf wars, the lights are out and whatever, and you know what, we run into each other, we bump into each other, sometimes we shoot each other. Like, oh, sorry, you scared me. But you know what, we're doing life together. And this church is not going to be any different than my home. Guess what? Karen and I are doing life together 24-7. Guess what happens? Hello, Chris is going to bump into Karen. I'm going I'm to I'm make things hard, unfortunately. She makes things easy, I make things hard. Listen, be honest in your homes. Ain't nobody's home in here perfect. If you're pursuing a godly marriage, you know what I know about this? You're going to bump into each other. You're going to hurt each other's feelings. I mean, I tell our kids all the time, listen, this is where God, this is designed to be God's primary training ground for you. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to tell you which sibling I was talking to. I said, but you know that, you know that a sibling that annoys you so badly, you know what God's doing in that person? He's training you. He's training you. You know what? The rest of your life, you're going to deal with hard people. Rest of your life, you're going to deal with annoying people. And you know what they're saying? Well, you're thinking of somebody right now that annoys. And you know what? That person's probably thinking about you. That's what's ironic. Like this half of the church is naming people over there. That, that's why they don't sit over there. You guys are naming people over here. Do what? Yeah, Joaquin, yeah, these three are over here. You're in the penalty box yeah, because nobody wanted to sit with y'all. You know, and I, huh? Yeah, exactly, amen, amen, Joaquin. Yeah, I say that, and that's why nobody wants to sit over there. It's like, oh, all afternoon, I'll be like, I probably shouldn't have said that. Visitors, sit over there. No, no, just kidding. Do not, visitors, be welcoming to our people. Or our people be welcoming to them. What? Huh? Except for those three. That's our version of being outside the city. You're outside the gate. No, but again, listen. How about this? How about, how about, we talk, how about asking the right questions? Here, here, here we go. Up to, I hear this all the time. Do you believe in God? Listen, that ain't the right question. Here's why that ain't the question. James 2.19 says even the demons believe in God and tremble. Romans 1, we saw it. The whole world believes in God. Now, they may be denying that. They may be suppressing that. Listen, that's a, that's a not offensive question. Do you believe in God? 
Here's the offensive question, because here's the question that divides. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? It don't, listen, it don't matter. Somebody says, oh, I believe in God. You know what? first question I ask them is, tell me about the God you believe in. And see, some of us will walk around, might be okay with asking the non-offensive questions. Hey, do you believe in God? They say, yeah. We're like, oh, good, okay. And we walk on, and we feel good about ourselves when we shouldn't. Because in some way, we might be hardening their heart to their own spiritual condition. We might be allowing them to think something about themselves that may not be entirely true. The point, you see it on your handout, guys. Our job is to present the truth, not change the truth. Present the truth. And if somebody rejects you, they are rejecting Christ, not you. You're simply the mailman. If I tell the man, man, I don't want that bill, hey, don't, he don't need to get his feelings, she don't need to get his feelings hurt. I'm not rejecting her. I'm rejecting the person who sent the bill. And again, even this flows, even this flows from a burden. You may desperately want people to be saved, but you don't have the authority to change the message. I mean, think about that. If the pre, if the if the if God literally gave you a piece of paper and said, hey, take this to John Cordova and let him read it, along the road, if you opened up the letter and started whiting out words and changing, do you know how arrogant that would be? Don't, it's not your job. And the flaw is we, we, we change, we're tempted to change and alter the message and to make it more attractive to unbelievers. But here's the problem. It becomes less like Christianity. I read a quote by John Piper, and that's what Paul was getting at in Galatians 1. I read a quote by John Piper. It's on your handout there. Hey, listen to this. Think about this. When we alter or water down the message, we don't get converts to Christianity. We get converts to an illusion. An illusion. John Piper goes on to say, when you do that, you deceive people, not evangelize them. You deceive them. That's a scary thing. And think about it. Why do you, why do you think we feel the need to change the message? You understand how arrogant that is? I mean, even the hard truths of Romans 9. You know, a lot of us are going to wish they weren't in here. Listen, we're gonna, we'll get to it, but uh, you, know, you and I, uh, the, we want to tell God how to dole out His mercy. And, don't, and just resist the temptation to change the message. But lastly, again, lastly, in, in verses 4 and 5, there's another danger for all of us here, and it's, you see it in number 3 here. We cannot mistake the blessings of God and activities of God, uh, for God as a relationship with God and think those around us do not need the gospel or even our own kids. I would say that or ourselves. There's a very real temptation to mistake activity and privilege with relationship. 
Look at verses 4 and 5. Who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the, co- of the, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Israel, Paul lists nine amazing privileges that the Jewish people as a nation had here. Great privilege, great activity for God. We saw this in, in, in Romans chapter 3. What advantage, verse 1, has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Huge blessing, huge privilege, huge advantage. They had the very oracles of God, and yet they missed Christ. They missed Christ. Go over to 9, chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Great activity, great privilege, no Christ. They missed the whole point. That's the great temptation. Do a lot of things for Christ, a lot of activities. Come here every single Sunday and listen to me. Go to grow groups, come on Wednesday night, do all that stuff and miss Christ. That's the temptation. And that's exactly, that's exactly what Satan wants all of us to do. To busy and to miss Christ. And, and to think that the, the activity is where the righteousness is found. Again, Romans 10, we'll pick this apart, but 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer for God is their salvation. Again, Paul and Jay, he wants them to be saved. For I testify about them, listen, that they have a zeal for God. Nobody's arguing their energy. They got great zeal. Well, listen, but it is not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Listen, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here's the option. You can either earn your own, you can either try, you're going to fail, but you can try to earn and merit your own righteousness, or you can trust in Christ for your righteousness. Listen, and they're mutually exclusive. You see it on your handout. They confuse privilege and activity and godly things with a relationship. They miss the person of Christ. And listen, God was not unfaithful. God gave them every privilege. Every, everything he gave them was all grace. Galatians 3.24, it says it was a tutor to lead them to Christ. God is taking their hand and guiding them to Christ, and they missed it. And, and again, not to be... I, I, all illustrations fall short at some point, but I thought about this this week, and I thought, like, the, within, within, within marriage... 
the illustration would look like this. Listen, I, I'm married to Karen. And, and again, bear with me here. Don't let your minds go crazy, but... There's nothing, there's nothing that I experienced with Karen that another man can't experience. Except he can't say he's married to her. No relationship. He can take her out to dinner, provide for her, bills, help raise the kids, not be married to her. That's the great temptation with you and I right now. To confuse activity with relationship. And, and Satan, listen, all throughout the New Testament, one of the most common, one of the most commonly found commands in all the New Testament is this, do not be deceived. Satan is the deceiver of the brethren. And one of the main deceptions that he would, I, I'm telling you, if I were him, that, and, and, and here's what I would want. I would, I would try to get people to think there's something that they're not. And I'd get him to confuse activity with really knowing Christ. That's what I would do. And I believe that's what Satan does. Not because I would do it. I, I, came, I, I see that in the scriptures. Don't confuse privilege. Listen, you, the question for us is this. In what ways might we today miss out on the relationship with God in the midst of participating in godly things, settling for activity over relationship? I mean, you would think Israel and all her blessings and privileges, educated, prepared for decades on the arrival of the Messiah, you'd think if, if nobody would miss it, they would not miss it, and they missed it to the point that they crucified him. And again, God was sovereign over that, but you see in Acts 2.23, God was sovereign over that, and yet Paul says, you nailed him to a cross. Peter, rather. Listen, and let, let me, this applies to you and me. Listen, if you were raised in a Christian home and grew up in the church, tremendous spiritual privilege and blessing doesn't guarantee that you know Christ. I mean, think about how privileged you are, even, and this isn't about me, the fact that you're sitting in here safely, air-conditioned, lit, you drove here, you had a meal, you're going to have another meal at 11. If we ever get out here, you're going to have another meal at noon. Think about all the privilege. Think about all the people all over the world who cannot hear the gospel proclaimed freely this morning. We had some missionaries from Haiti and live with us this week and, and listening to them and what they go through on a weekly basis to hear the gospel preached. I was, I was literally, like she said, tell me about your church. I'm like, I ain't, I'm ashamed. And not ashamed of you, ashamed of me. I don't want any of your minds wondering. 
I mean, you're privileged in every way, even sitting here this morning, to hear the Word of God preached. I mean, every single one of us probably have nine Bibles in 29 versions. It's everywhere. I mean, even here, I thought about it. you got children's church, you have youth group, we have camps, we have mission trips. We have all these activities, all these privileges. Let me see it on a handout. Our great spiritual privileges will become great spiritual liabilities that will testify against us at the judgment if we do not repent of our sins and trust Christ. If you're trusting in your activity, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Don't miss Christ. You can enjoy all these things and miss Christ. And see, within every single one of us, there is a tendency to settle into a religious mode, to go through habits without heart and mind. E- even in our observance, in our activity, you can sit in here and your mind being on the business deal, or your mind is on whether the Bucks are going to beat the Lions today, or your team, or what happened yesterday, or, or dot, dot, dot. Listen, God is not pleased with that. He's not honored with that. He wants wholehearted worship. And the reality is, here's the challenge, and here's how deceptive Satan is. The more you do that, the more you're going to do that because you will become dull to the reality of what you're doing. That's the deceptiveness of sin. Sin dulls me to my sin. And I go through the motions and I, I don't read my Bible or I go through the motions even reading my Bible and, I, and nothing bad happens and we think, oh, God must be pleased with me. Deceived. Deceived. No different than you said, oh man, I'm, doing, I'm not even loving my wife, I'm not even trying, I'm doing all this crazy stuff, she hasn't left me yet, oh, I must be getting away with it. Deceived. Oh, my kids, they don't really care about the Lord, and I let them come or go if they want to please, and nothing bad has happened. They, they seem so deceived. You're deceived. And what Paul is saying here is if that happens, there is not one ounce of unfaithfulness in God. The fact that you're here tomorrow, this morning hearing the word of God preached as you are testifies to the faithfulness of God. And, and that you see it on your hand out. God is faithful and the gospel can be trusted no matter what. And, and I pray that we would be a church that would trace everything to Jesus. That we would not settle for less than 100% faithfulness to Jesus. That, that, and again, that we would be a church that are... It, you, every single one of us in here ought to have two or three people that we're praying for who are lost. We ought to have people in our minds that we would love to see eyes, the scales taken off, the blinders taken off of their eyes to the reality of the gospel. If not, start there. And I, I pray that we'd be a church, I, I wish we'd hear more of this, that, that, that we could hear stories of us sharing the gospel and hearing people come to know the Lord. But listen, even if they don't come to know the Lord, stories of you sharing the gospel, and, I, and I'll, I'll brag on this kid, I'm not trying to embarrass him, and it's not in my notes. I, I, I hope I will never forget, we were at the beach 
in Carrollwood for a youth event. And Josh Hike, my Hockmeister, he spent the whole event talking to strangers about the gospel. Numerous times I sat there, every time I looked at Josh, you know what Josh was doing? He was talking to a stranger. I I, I, I pray regularly. I, I pray that that spirit would be prevalent in this church. He could have consumed his whole afternoon with himself. You know what he did? He spent his time concerned about the lostness of strangers. What about your neighbors, co-workers, classmates? That's why we're taking up a Christmas offering for for, for, for the Bahamas, for the gospel's sake. It's not so we can feel good about it. Brag that we did something. It's for the gospel. Listen, you can give, you could give $20 million to that and miss Christ. Listen, or you could give your very last $10 and glorify Christ. Listen, I, I, if you're here today and you're not sure if you're a believer, I, I would beg you to see Christ. There is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. I, I, I pray that God would take the blinders off of your eyes. If you're here and you've grown up in church, I pray that for some of you, maybe God needs to take the blinders off your eyes, even for some who've grown up in church. Blinders off your eyes that you're content with just going through the motions and flying under the radar and not really being sold out. Content trying to walk the fence and please both sides. You can't serve two masters. 